in the numbers. You try in vain to pretend don't interest you. You're filled with doubts about every piece of work you've ever done. You spend most of your time doubting yourself and your right to do so. Lies! Vile, filthy lies from a weak-minded, demon-filled scum! Shocked. October 2020 was the most success this show has ever seen, and it was because of me. It was my magnetism, my charisma, and my eternal truths that propelled Shocktober into the stratosphere. I am an un 
undeniable force of nature, and my story is sufficiently timeless that we can tell it again word for word and make it a unique experience in an infinite number of ways. Just as Cassius asks, how many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over in states unborn and accents yet unknown? Our story will be told around campfires just like this one, and in quiet back rooms where the children won't hear. So long as men can breathe, or eyes can see. Prior's hollow has burned itself into history. I'll be prosecuting you for your crimes against humanity. You haven't heard my side of the story Let me tell it to you. You may be the prosecutor, but history will be my judge. every experience is imagination. See the trees in the slowly sinking sun. Can you imagine being the raven flying through that darkening sky? Feel the October chill in the air. Smell the rotting crops as you approach the hand-built cabin. If you listen, you can hear voices from inside. Circle above the porch, look down the chimney, and see the family inside. Here's 12-year-old Eliza, whose short dark hair and deep brown eyes set her apart from the mostly blonde, blue-eyed residents of Pryor's Hollow. She's talking to her mother, Rose. How do you expect to cure people with the clothes of the dead? I clean them first. With what? The soap. The soap the Undertaker makes? It's the only soap in Pryor's Hollow. And it's worthless. That's Alvin, Eliza's father. He's a farmer, nearly bald and gaunt. We're the filthiest village of the colony. 
plague is running rampant. Our barn smells better than your mother. That was a lousy thing to say. The truth is often lousy. And hard. It is a dish best served cold. I thought that was revenge. The Undertaker has clothes I can use. You're out of material, and people continue to bleed from boils on their skin. What would you like me to do? The only reason Mr. Tanji has those clothes is because I made them. You're just getting my work back. But what I'd really like for you to do is to get us more firewood. This room has turned cold. That's the boy's job, not hers. Since when? Since right now. He's eight, Alvin. An eight-year-old is not ready to wield the axe. He's ready when he thinks he's ready. He could hurt himself. He's not strong enough to cut his hand off. The worst he'll do is get a splinter. I got one this morning and I'm fine. In which case, you both need a bandage when we cut it out. I'm going to the Undertaker's. While you're there, see if he has a better knife. Ours is as dull as your mother's book. Oh, and about 50,000 measures of water to dump on our dead crops. You know, there is a river half a mile from our farm. If we could just move the river... That's a violation of the commandments of the book. Earth must be preserved as it is. You know that, Eliza. I'm not destroying it. I'm nourishing it so it will grow. We cut into the earth every time we plant our crops. The difference between planting crops and moving the river is the difference between the cut we make to remove my splinter and cutting off my whole hand. Shall I go cut the wood then? The book is a badly written set of fairy tales. I really wish you wouldn't talk like that in front of our junior lumberjack. I'll be home by moonrise. Alvin, why don't you go into town with Eliza? Have the butcher get it out. He has sharper knives than we do. I'll be fine. We need you to wield the axe. The boy is too young. All right, we'll go together. And Eliza opens the door. (laughs) The baker, Abigail, and her husband, Herbert, the grain miller, are standing there with shocked expressions on their faces. You don't know how to knock? Good lord, you nearly frightened the daylights out of me. We were just about to win. What can we do for you? Eliza, you leave. Abigail and Herbert, please, come in. I'll catch up with you, Liz. Good evening, Rose. Hello, Alvin. Hello, Rose. Hello, Alvin. Did you just come for a visit? It's awfully cold for such a long walk. Father, shall I? Yes, boy, go cut us some wood. An awkward silence falls over the room as they wait for the boy to leave. With the children gone, Herbert speaks freely. Actually, it's because of the cold that we came at all. We hoped Rose might have some warmer clothes for trade. Her calm demeanor breaks down. I have no materials from which to create them. The sheep are all but gone. The wolves are everywhere. 
I have no materials from which to create them. Oh aye, the book tells us there was a gear just like this in the time of the ancestors. No rain, no crops, plague, wolves, all in. Rose smirks and rolls her eyes. <laughs> yeah, they didn't handle it well. And it wasn't wolves in the book. It was dragons. If you're going to believe it, you really ought to know what the book says. Rose, stop. The baker and the miller stare at Rose in disbelief. Well, goody Rose, we thank you for your hospitality. Herbert and I must be going before it gets any colder. They move nervously towards the door. Herbert pauses. Aye, leave them a loaf anyway, Abby. The boy looks a wee bit thin. Abigail takes a loaf of slightly molded bread from her pack, and she lays it gently on the table. Without another word, she takes her husband's hand and hurries out the door. Rose and Alvin are alone. You're going to bring trouble into our house if you keep talking like that. The trouble got to this house long before I did. Go catch up with Eliza, Alvin, before it's too late. Eliza walks the long trail down to the village of Pryor's Hollow as the sun continues its slow, unrelenting descent. She stops along the way to collect twigs, pine needles, almonds, wildflowers, and other pretty bits of nature. It's not long before her father catches up. Eliza, what are you doing? I thought you'd be there by now. The Undertaker. He likes pretty things. He can use to make a soap. This rock is shiny. Maybe he can make something pretty with it. Get what you need. I'll be next door at the butcher's. We'll walk home together. Finally, the woods end, and the Undertaker's shop is visible in the center of town. You see it? It's a darkly painted wooden building. If you take a deep breath, you can smell the meat in the butcher's shop next door. The butcher and the Undertaker are brothers. Eliza steps into Mr. Eustace Tanji, the Undertaker's shop. Good twilight, Miss Eliza. What may I do for you? I, I was hoping I might get more clothes from you. All, all of us need more bandages soon, and I brought you these pretties. Those are beautiful, Miss Eliza. Oh, almond shells. Sadly, we had three more deaths today. Make their clothes what you will. The bodies are being burned this evening. They have no more use for their clothes. I found another note this afternoon. I hoped you might help me with it. You know I will, Eustace. Whose pocket was it in? You always ask, Eliza, and I never tell. You should know by now. You try it first. What does it say? In the... No... Uh, uh, there it... Us. No better test. In wine, there is In truth. wine? Oh my. I wonder 
Who is trying to tell me they know? What do they know, Eustace? The Calvin shields you bring. They've never gone into the soap. They, uh... Tanji takes a vial from his pocket. I... And holds it up for Eliza to see. Its liquid twinkles in the light of the sun creeping through the window. It's a poison. Prior Nip is a dangerous man, Eliza. If I... I put this in... In his wine? He'll be dead in hours. And the village can go back to what it was before he came. We can end the fear. We can hold the hate. We can purge ourselves of the plague he perpetuates. The door opens and the blacksmith, Peter, steps in. He's carrying a body and his eyes are glistening with tears. Tanji shoves the vial deeply into his pocket and Eliza stares in horror at the corpse. It's the Mises, Mr. Tanji. The plague took her while I was often what's left of the iron mine. I grieve for your loss, brother Peter. I offer my sympathies as well. Eliza and Tanji help Peter to the back with the corpse. Eliza stares at the burst boils on her arms with a kind of horror, but Tanji has no reaction whatever. I'm powerful glad you're here, Miss Eliza. Maggie wanted your brother to have this knife. It was the first I ever made. I gave it to her on our wedding day. And she wanted it to go to someone who would make good use of it. The boy is old enough now, don't you think? I'm sure he'll be honored, Mr. Holt. Thank you kindly on his behalf. And on behalf of my family. Your parents haven't told you, have they? The harvest isn't going to be enough to keep us through the winter. Maggie died at the right time. I couldn't have stood to watch her starve. It is sometimes better to be dead. I wish her end had been more peaceful. Prior Nip is gathering the town together now. He's going to tell us how to end all of this. He's been reading the book all last night and into this twilight. He says we're all to assemble. If only he had saved us before Maggie. But he can't save the rest of us yet. May Maggie's be the last of death. But it won't. Screams come from the butcher's shop next door. That's father. Eliza runs from the room. Eustace and Peter stand staring in wonder at each other. Eliza pushes through the door of the butcher's shop. She finds her father, Alvin, strapped to the table, screaming. Fuck! What are you doing? No, ah! It's just a splinter! The prior, a 
bulbous old man with long white hair and a ponytail hanging down his back stands next to the butcher, Amos Tangy, who holds an axe over his head. It's the only way. The infection will run through your body and kill you. Brother Amos is saving your life. No. God, no. No. The axe comes down across Ellen's <laughs> arm, slicing her deep. Eliza runs to her father, who's bleeding out. She pushes the butcher, but the prior grabs her arms hard. I know, Sister Eliza, that it looks brutal, but this is what science teaches. We must stop the infection before it destroys the body. There is no other way. Elvin fights against the straps as the axe comes down a second time, finally severing Elvin's arm completely. It falls to the floor, and blood begins to spew from the lonely shoulder, pooling around the fallen appendage. You're insane! This is not science, this is torture! This is the madness your mother teaches. Science, she tells the others, tells us that infections spread and kill. We must find it and cut it from the body. Eliza rips a strip from her dress and begins frantically wrapping it around her father's wound. The butcher grabs her by one arm, the prior by the other, and they drag her, screaming across the room. They tie her hands as a crowd begins to gather outside the butcher's shop. They drag her to the meat hook and hang her by the bound hands front, and then run from the room to meet the crowd. What's all this screaming about? Is somebody hurt? Brother Alvin is recovering from a difficult surgery. His hand was infected. I have saved his life. What on earth did you do to cause him to scream so? Alvin is a strong man, not one who cries out. The infection was spreading all the way up his arm. I had no choice but to cut it from his body before it poisoned and destroyed him. Or you're daft, man. You could have fucking killed him. People of the hollow, hear me. A demon is in our midst. She has taken our crops and our livestock. Many of the villagers have fallen ill. We shall not suffer this madness and evil. On our doorstep she has placed misery and plague. As the book declares in chapter 4, verse 86, rivers of boiling blood await her demise and only fire can cleanse this land. Only through fire does nature regrow and flourish. Let us cast out this witch and drag her to the flame. As she's placed evil on our doorstep, let us place judgment on hers. Kill the witch! No, this is not the way. This way leads to madness and death. We are better than this. We must find the witch, and I believe I have discovered her. Are you, Sister Abigail, consorting with demons? You having a laugh, Prior? She's my wife. I spend every minute of every day with her. No demon come near either of us. But I... 
I might know where you can find the demon. I know what I heard Sister Rose say. No, Herbert, don't do this. Tell us, Brother Herbert, testify, what did she say? Hughes was there, Abby. You heard her yourself. She didn't mean anything by it. She was arguing with her family. She's not like one of us. But what did Sister Rose say, Brother Herbert? She called the book a badly written set of fairy tales. Only a witch would say such a thing. She's not a witch, she's not. She's a good woman. She's a mother, she's a wife. She's a seamstress. She's not evil. We shall find out for ourselves. Let us all go and visit Sister Rose while her husband recovers. At that same moment, Rose and her son are back at home, cuddling together on the couch while Rose reads to him. In all the cosmos, every child is special and unique. Each one with a gift worth more than the weight of the world. Demons come in shadows that creep across the lands. But in each child, in every child, there is a light. When you know your true self, your light will shine. You may see them, you may hear them, but these are tricks of the eyes and ears. The secret is there are no demons and the darkness is nothing but a place for the light to shine. Rose pauses. She hears in the distance the approaching sound of her fate, sealing itself in the mob. Quickly, boy. Take the book, put it under the floorboards. I will see to this. Then you must hide. No matter what you see or what you hear, you must stay hidden. Do you understand? Yes, Mama. Torch flames illuminate the windows of the cabin as the mob approaches. Rose pauses for a moment and smiles, as if welcoming the morning sun, then opens the door. Witch, you shall curse this village no longer. Quickly take her and search the house. Rose steps from the porch quietly and holds her arms out to be bound. The villagers begin to search the house. The house is empty, Prior, but beneath the floor, I found a book. You see? What is this blasphemy? It speaks of science and the cosmos. Conjuring demons from the shadows. You have your proof. This is the source of our woes. This witch has cast us. Rose breathes a short sigh of relief. They did not find the boy. She looks around and 
sees him hiding behind the dwindling woodpile, grasping the axe. She nods warmly as if to assure him. It's all right. It's all right. Stay brave. Stay hidden when you need to. Use your mind. Stay sharp like the axe. I'll be okay. You will be okay. It will all be okay. Rose is bound by the hands, and the mob takes her back to the village. At that very moment, Eliza too is bound by the hands, the rope beginning to cut into her wrists as she struggles to get free. She cries out for her father, but the shop is silent. He does not answer. Suddenly, she feels as though she hears Rose calling her for supper. She doesn't hear her, she feels her. She's filled with a new strength she's never felt before. And she bites through the ropes and falls to the butcher's floor. She crashes through the door and runs faster than the wind can carry her. She heads for home, but turns to see the village square lit up like the day. A warm glow falling on the trees surrounding the village. She arrives to see the crowd standing around a silent, burning pyre. Abigail is moving towards her with tears in her eyes, though she can barely stand to look at Eliza. I'm sorry, child. Abigail moves quickly past her, running home to the mill in tears. Eliza feels something new, something stronger, as she walks towards the burning pyre. What? What? What have you done? What needed to be done? This holy village shall not suffer a witch. She is not a witch. She pauses, her eyes fall to the ground for a moment before piercing the prior's soul with the fire burning in her eyes. The pyre goes cold and the mob runs in fear as the fire continues to blaze in Eliza's gaze. Eliza stands there watching the cinders fall from the air amidst the smoke and falling delicately towards her is a tiny scrap of paper. On it remains only two words that can be read. Sacrifice and salvation. The rest of the note had burned away, but she understands. She tucks the note into her dress and runs home. 
she comes upon the cabin, the only home she's ever known, now empty. She calls out for her brother, Where are you? who emerges from behind the wood pile, still gripping the axe in fear. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's gonna be okay. He drops the axe and falls into her arms. Where is Mama? Where is Father? She looks at him with a smile. They're going to meet us in the forest. Come, leave the axe. It's far too big to carry. The blacksmith wanted you to have this. She hands him the small iron knife. He looks at it lovingly for a moment before tucking it into his belt and taking Eliza's hand. She pauses for a moment, grabs the axe, and leads him up the hill behind the cabin into the forest. It's thick with fog tonight, and there's a chill in the air. It's midnight. Winter is here. Eliza looks back, only once, to see the sky over the village, glowing like the morning sun. Where are they? We're almost there, don't worry. And now, though deep in the forest, far from any trail, they begin to hear a low growl from somewhere within the pea soup fog. What's that? It's just the wind, don't be afraid. That's not wind. Eliza begins to feel her heart pounding out of her chest. She's gripping the axe tightly in one hand and her brother's hand in the other. Ow! Sorry. They come to a small clearing. Eliza sees a little piece of something fluffy and pretty hanging on a thorn bush. For a moment, she forgets the madness the day has wrought. She remembers tomorrow will be her 13th birthday. She drops her brother's hand and does as she's done a million times before walking through the forest. She collects it and calls it her birthday present. What a strange place for that. A wolf jumps from behind the thorn bush. Get behind me! She raises the axe as high as she can. She looks back at her brother with a fire in her eyes. Run! With all her strength, she swings the axe. She misses the wolf by the smallest fraction of an inch, and the beast drives its teeth into her tender neck. He drags her to the ground. The boy brandishes his knife and slashes at the wolf. The boy runs as fast as he can. He runs until he can no longer even see the light of the village, nor can he hear the sounds of the wolves. He comes upon a stream and curls up between some large rocks by a small waterfall, gripping the iron knife and doing his best to silence his tears. 
The moon is full and high in the sky now, its soft glow outlining the landscape. The boy sees a dark figure moving toward him silently, slowly and cautiously. The boy soon recognizes it as the wolf. The wolf, however, does not growl. The boy looks at his knife. The wolf is hurt, limping, bleeding from its leg. It's okay. It's alright. I won't hurt you. He sees the wolf's eyes. He sees kindness and sadness in them. He drops his knife. It's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry for hurting you. He pulls a strip of Eliza's cloth from his pocket and wraps the wound. It's okay. Their eyes lock, and for a moment, they understand each other. So, where do we go now? The wolf looks into the dense fog, the sunrise creeping through it in eerie rays. The boy nods, and he and the wolf limp into the mist and out of our sight. As the raven we've become, we can see the village's light as it burns to ashes from which none will ever rise. When we return to it, we find Eustace lying on the ground, the vial still in his hand. His brother lies face down in the dirt. The mill has burnt to the ground with Herbert and Abigail inside it. The prior is hanging from the rafters of the church. His body swings slowly back and forth like a pendulum counting out time. The family home is entirely gone, ravaged by the fire. Even the tiny woodpile is now a pile of ashes. The village of Priors Hollow is no more. It has passed into the stuff of legends and stories whispered around campfires in hushed tones so the children won't hear. It has burned itself into history. Legend tells us there is but one survivor, a nameless boy who has only a wolf for a companion and a small iron knife as a reminder of his origin. It is only through fire we purge ourselves, isn't it?
Story by Jenner Zeno. Written by Fred Eater. Produced by Studio Stargazer 2021. Played by Jereen Elkins. Playing Eliza, it's me, that other Laura Ingram. Alvin, played by Phil Orr. Nameless, the boy. Played by Jenner Zeno. Abigail, played by Alyssa Bonet Mason. Hello, my name is Jared. I play Herbert. Eustace Tanji, played by Mike Kelly. Peter Holt, played by Jenner Zeno. Brian Nip, played by Jenner Zeno. Brother Alvin is recovering from a difficult surgery. Phil Ord as Amos the Butcher. Stargazer.org 
quickly. Let me help you.